Last week, I snuck in an episode where my sister interviewed me for the podcast. I felt it was time that I introduced myself properly. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, I invite you to do that, but not before you listen to this episode with Drita Potopapa. Welcome to Diversity Dish, where we're dishing on everything diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice related. My name is Sidrola Maruska, and we're bridging the gap between what needs to be said and what needs to be heard. Those individual experiences that are often ignored or simply dismissed. Sometimes I'm dining alone, sometimes I'm dining with friends, and sometimes I'm dining a la carte. No matter how I'm dining, it promises to be delicious. Let's dig in. Drita Portopapa loves languages and communicating with people from other cultures and beliefs. This is true for both her personal and her professional lives. She's pretty sure this impacted her decision to open her agency, Mapa Translations Inc., and offers a host of language services which include written translations, interpretation, and multilingual voiceovers. In addition to being the founder of MAPA, she's also a trilingual English, Portuguese, and Spanish voice actor and trained medical and community interpreter. Connecting and communicating is what she's all about. Hello, Drita. How are you? It is so good to have you here. Hello. It's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. <laughs> Absolutely. I am very excited about it. Same so, here. Drita, we, before we get into the meat and potatoes, like I like to say, mm-hmm. we're going to just do a, a couple of, you know, really easy questions that are about you. So you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. And the first question is, what are you passionate about right now? Uh, that's a good question to ask me because I'm passionate about a lot of things, but I'll keep it brief. <laughs> you know, I think if I had to whittle it down, um, I would really say I'm passionate about justice. You know, people, yeah. especially underdogs, especially underrepresented minorities, um, the people mm-hmm. that we serve in, our, in my business, you know, I feel like we're here to give them a voice. And that is of extreme importance to me. I would say secondary mm-hmm. to that and related to that is anything that has to do with women's rights or women being supportive of other business women, underprivileged women, just women in general, anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I'm involved with a couple of organizations. I'm sure we'll touch on that later, but I feel like we have to support our own, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. right? And we mm-hmm. have to really give back. And I think that comes from being the child of immigrants and um, seeing them do this sort of, I guess we would call it social service, social justice action throughout their entire lifetimes and throughout my lifetime. And so it's just sort of been passed on and handed down through the generations. But yeah, we definitely fight for justice and fight for women. Those are my two big themes. Well, awesome. That means we're going to have a fantastic conversation. Yeah, I have a feeling we're kind of similar. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I think there's some overlap here. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. So so in thinking about that, what you're passionate about, and thinking of who you are, what would you consider to be your superpower? And is your superpower tied into what you're passionate about? Um, Yeah, I think it's definitely tied in. Um, You know, it's sort of something that I've become more clear about recently, but I would say that my true superpower is as a connector. 
you know, okay. my job seems to be <laughs> to connect people <laughs> in all ways, in all shape and form. You know, it's not just like personal connections, business connections, opportunities, connecting people who may not have access to opportunities because of language, because of culture, because of their socioeconomic status. I'm this sort of in-between person where I see A over here, B over here, and I'm like, oh, those two need to get together. Yeah. And it's sort of like, I know that other people have that, but I'm like, I almost like can't not act on it. It's like, like there's some moral <laughs> obligation for me to do it. Like, I'm like, if you don't connect these two people, something bad will happen. It's, it's that, it's that intense for me. It's like, I, ha I have to, you know, I mean, yeah. I, there's so many, you know, funny examples, but I just, there's this great South African um, singer that I just fall in love with his sound and everything. And I have a lot yeah. of musician friends and um, people at Berkeley. And I was like, oh, I like started listening to his stuff. And immediately, like after I was like, oh, I just love his sound. And then I'm like, oh, who can I connect with him with here so that he can come to a show in Boston so that we can all hear him live, literally. Like, <laughs> and then I, you know, I actually did it. I made the email connection and they're, now we're all sort of talking. So it's funny. That's it's like, awesome. Yeah, it's like, an, it's like a moral obligation. <laughs> it's like you've got Right, to right. I can't keep it to myself. Yeah. I must. I must share. I must share. Exactly. It's like, <laughs> to the rescue, Drita, we'll connect you. I don't know. Purple cape. I, oh I love goodness. it. I love it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, that's good because as I think of the next question is, what is something that has happened to you along your travels that seems fantastical that if you tell the story, some people might go, no, that can't be real, but it actually did happen and people need to hear it. Right. What is, what is something? Yeah. Well, I always tell people, there's a lot of serendipity in my life. So there's lots of like little funny stories, but I'm not going to tell you, the, I'm not going to tell you a funny story today. I'm going to tell you kind of a serious story that impacted me greatly and mm -hmm. deeply. Um, as you may know, I'm an interpreter. <laughs> I think you already know that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. And, you know, sometimes I go to immigration and sometimes I'm asked to interpret for asylum cases. And I would say that of all the immigration related interpreting that I've done, the asylum cases are always the toughest. So I actually, mm -hmm. on a day where I know I'm going to go into Boston and do that, mm -hmm. I clear my schedule. Mm -hmm. I don't put anything else on my calendar. I assume I'm going to take the rest of the day off after I'm done interpreting because it's so intense. Mm. Um, you know how they talk about like vicarious trauma for doctors mm -hmm. and psychologists and social workers and counselors and attorneys even, you know, mm -hmm. well, interpreters have that too. So this story, uh, we'll keep it short, but basically there was a woman from Angola and it's Portuguese speaking and I speak Portuguese. So I went in and she was telling her story and she was recounting some very traumatic, very, you know, heavy stuff. So basically to summarize it, I'll say that she was gang raped by officials from mm. her country who were looking for her husband, mm. was home alone with her kids, mm -hmm. I think two or three kids. This was almost midnight. And as she was recounting her story, the immigration officer that was asking her the questions, who happened to be male and Caucasian, was, I would say, like deadpan and disinterested in her story and seemed to, you know, have no sensitivity around what she was saying because he kept asking mm. her these questions about the, the amount of time that the people spent in her home. And I thought to myself, like, nobody that's being gang raped is looking at their watch or their clock wondering, you know, what time is it and how long has this lasted? Ooh. So it was heavy, but I, um, 
you know, because one of our roles as interpreters is to be a, an advocate and to sort of step into this kind of defender role, you know, mm-hmm. like a, literally an advocate for that, that person, if they aren't able to advocate for themselves, whether mm-hmm. it's language for, in her case, she was like frozen, you know, imagine you're recounting your story and you're sure. recounting it to two strangers, me, the interpreter, and this very stone-faced, unresponsive officer who is, mm-hmm. who's basically your fate and your future is in their hands, right? So there's like, mm. there's tension, there's stress, there's reliving the trauma, there's so many things happening. And in this case, yeah. recounting a very traumatic situation. And so basically I stepped out of my role as an interpreter and I looked at the officer and I said, I don't think that the, this person can recall the time, the amount of time these individuals spent in her home because she's a victim of trauma and trauma victims often forget details about their traumatic experience because that mm-hmm. they need to do that to survive. Yeah. And that was all I said. <laughs> and then I was yeah. like, Okay, you can ask your ne- next question. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Basically, you know, with not so many words, I told him, cut it out. Like, and I, yeah. not only did I say that, but I was like beaming my glaze at him, like mm-hmm. you know, my gaze, not glaze. <laughs> gaze at gaze. him, like, yeah, glaze. I don't know, you know they were that <laughs> Sometimes I mix words up. It's kind of funny. Um, <laughs> so I was really like, I fixed my gaze on him so that he understood that I meant business. Like I'm, I'm listening, I'm watching and this is not appropriate. Mm-hmm. So he quickly, you know, changed his line of questioning. And then, you know, as we were walking out and going into the elevator after the full interview was done, I mean, this woman was just a blank stare. She just, it was like, she was gone. She was, she checked out. Um, yeah. It wow. was really, but again, I feel that the, the good news and the upside of that story that's very difficult is that thank goodness I was there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, thank goodness there was an interpreter there and an interpreter that knows that that's one of our roles is to step up to the plate and speak up. Um, yeah. Oftentimes people feel intimidated by that role. And I think they hesitate to do it because it isn't like, thankfully, we don't have to pull that advocate card out that often. But when we mm-hmm. do, we really have to do it. Like it's almost, you know, like being a mandated reporter of child abuse or something like that. It's sort of like on mm-hmm. the, I feel like as interpreters, we, hear and see things that may not even be spoken. And, you know, Mm -hmm. obviously her body, I'm sitting right next to her. So her body language, her facial expression, her, the quiver in her voice, you know, Mm -hmm. you don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that this woman is reliving her trauma right in front of our, you know, tears are just streaming down her face. And I'm just like, this guy's got to (laughs) stop. And I'm the only one in the room, you know, it's, I'm the only other person. That's a big part of what we do. And I feel like, yeah. when I, when I leave an encounter like that and I think, okay, why was I put on this earth to do this? And, you know, it's so hard and it's so draining and it's so intense, but I also feel that it's, it's important and that I can do it and that I do it well. And I do it in a way where, you know, people feel comfortable and, and trust Mm -hmm. me, you know, because what revealed that day in that interview was heavy, heavy stuff. And you know, it would be, it would be almost near impossible to even tell, you know, your own mother or your sister or your best friend, let alone a complete stranger. So I think what I'm really yeah. good at in that connector role is making somebody feel immediately connected to me mm-hmm. so that their guard is down and that they can tell the truth and they can tell their story. Yeah. Those asylum cases, it's, it's critical. They have to, like, I sometimes think that people here in the U.S. don't always understand the level of violence and fear and 
terror that some people live with in their own homes or in their own countries. You know, we're yes. sort, of, sort of like, oh, everything's great here and no, there's no fear. Right. You know, well, <laughs> it, it, it's got levels. <laughs> right, right. Levels. But, but many you know, people don't yeah. live, you know, they live in a realm where they, right. the government, the officials aren't going to come and hurt you in your home. The, you know, right. the people right. that are supposed to be protecting you are, there's an assumption, hopefully, that they are doing their yeah. job. Whereas another guy, the assumption is that they're not, that they, you can't trust yeah. them any more than the next guy, you know? And so right. that level is, is, is intense in other countries and especially in a place like Angola where yeah. there's just rampant corruption and um, just violence. Yeah. And yeah. There's political factions and ugh, it's just so much. So yeah. Anyways. Which kind of brings me to thinking about how traumatic it is right now for those parents whose children were taken from them while they're running and seeking help and you know it's out of the frying pan and into the fire and exactly that kind of trauma is like it's unfathomable for us Mm -hmm. I think I agree because you know, because I feel myself, if I venture to even begin to try to understand that trauma, it's too much for me. It's overwhelming and I don't want to go there. Right. Right. It's too much to bear. It's too much to bear. It's intense. Um, I think we're, um, I think, you know, when you're talking about an adult, it's kind of one thing. When you're talking about children who they didn't ask to come here, they weren't like, yeah, sign me up. I want to cross, you know, into the United States right. and- be on the run and you know right we ask for that and especially children and so often they are brought you know against their will if you I guess you could say that yeah but sometimes I mean sometimes they're brought because it's better than leaving them behind you know if you leave them behind I mean it's like what do you do if you're if you're running out of a burning house you're not going to leave your child and (laughs) say I'll be right back to get some help you know what I mean you're going to take that child with you and so it's kind of you know, it's kind of, it's, it's really tough. And I think that, you know, we're supposed to care for the least of us. And that's not a national thing. That is a world thing. That is a human thing. We're supposed to yes. care for the least of us as humans. So, you know, in order to do something like that, I feel that we have to dehumanize these people and, and make them out to be what things that they're not um, from our perspective and then and be okay with that kind of trauma that's being inflicted on them I think that it's just it's sad you know it's it's so it's I think that it's really you know you say you know why were you chosen to to do this kind of work I think that it is your uh, superpower right it's (laughs) it's what it's what you're meant to do and you have the ability to do it and to also know to take care of yourself afterward so that you can process and then get back into, into the trenches. And that is a, that's a beautiful thing because not a lot of people, you know, I mean, just like the man that you were sitting across who just, you know, I don't know that that was his superpower. (laughs) You think? Yeah, no, he definitely, but it's, oh, there's a funny little, (laughs) <laughs> that story. The next time I went to immigration, which was a while later, yeah, I saw this person because I remember I, you know, took note of his full name and all that because I thought yeah. I need to write this person up. Um, I need to know who their official name is. But he saw me and he was like, "Hi," and I was like, 
oh, what? Oh. Like, you, you really you, you actually like me? Like you want to talk? Because I don't really like you that much. So why are you saying hello to me? It was hilarious. Right. And I even checked. I have a good friend who's an, uh, who's now retired, but she's an immigration attorney. And I I checked in with her. I said, you know, Officer So and So. She's like, oh yeah. yeah. He's been written up many times. I said, oh, well, I had my first really? with him today. And, she, and I told her, you know, more or less the story. Yeah, yeah. Um, she was, was like, I'm not surprised. And I said, well, hopefully after today, he won't, you know. And then that next time I saw him, I was like, wow, you know. So in an yeah. interesting way, maybe nobody had actually called him out before. So I also feel like that's part of the right. superpower is that I don't know who I'm going to impact by, impact by speaking up. I don't know who's going to hear the message but he obviously heard the message. Now, I don't know if he improved overall. He, you know, it was a momentary lapse and he was like friendly to me. I don't know. Right. Um, and I can't necessarily think about it too much, but I can say that inside, I know like I did the right thing yeah. and that I at least impacted her life, you know, that I sure. made a difference for the person I was interpreting for. Mm. That's the person I most cared about. If it spilled over into him and that yeah. in future, interviews and other asylum cases he was a better officer and a kinder and more compassionate officer that would be like gravy that would be like yes triple icing on the cake you know like I don't I don't have that expectation but I if that did happen I would I'd throw a party just for that <laughs> and I like parties ask anybody that knows me yes. I love to celebrate everything and anything <laughs> oh my gosh me too I I'm, I'm right there with you so in your opinion, where do we stand in this country with race and racism? Like, where, where are we and where do you see us going? <sighs> if we're going forward or we're going backward or we're just staying in place, where do you see this? I don't, you know, that's such a tough question to answer. And I feel like the answer is all, all of the above. Right, right. There are days where I have like faith and I think like, yeah, we're moving through this. We're moving forward. Then I think like, is it 1952 again? Did I miss something? Or are we like, did we go back? Am I in a time machine? You know, um, I think, did we cover that? Already? Are we all past that? Haven't we yes. all dealt with that already? But, you know, an interesting thing. I did live in um, the South for a while in Texas. And I can say that even just, you know, sort of from being from New England and I went to school down there and then I went back and I lived there as, a, as an adult for a while regionally. Yeah. Graphically, this country is diverse. Yeah. And not necessarily in a good way. <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah, there are pockets in places and even within states that you think are quite progressive or forward thinking or open-minded or anti-racist, there are pockets. Mm -hmm. And I think what's happening currently, given the sort of national um, environment, I'll say it that way, mm -hmm. um, that there are some folks who feel that it's okay to be outwardly highly vocal about their anti-racist sentiments. And honestly, like, I do believe people are allowed to feel what they feel and believe what they believe, but not to hurt, not in to the detriment of others, not, not to be hurtful to others. I can have my opinion, you can have a different opinion, but I'm not necessarily going to take my opinion and go out and hurt people with it or spread it out to incite people to act against another group of people. Mm -hmm. I could, you know, not could, I believe it has a lot to do with how you're raised. And mm -hmm. so my story is that my parents were both political refugees fleeing communism from two very different religions. My dad was raised Muslim, but never practiced it here. My mother was raised Lutheran, practiced a little bit here. Um, mm -hmm. So for them, just, just my own parents are already an example of like completely di different. They were two different countries, two different religions, two different people 
came together and, and raised a family in this tiny little town outside of Boston that was at the time, it's a little different now, but it, at the time was highly undiverse. <laughs> mm. um, I always jokingly say like our family and the Bose family, like as in Bose, the audio yeah. speaker company, we yeah. were the two diverse families in Wayland growing up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know. Not a great statement. Maybe like there was one other family that was diverse. I think we have one African-American family <sighs> and us and maybe one like Asian Chinese family. Um, yeah. And so from the get-go, we were sort of different. And because my parents spoke with an accent and, you know, when my friends would come over, that was like they were stepping into another world, you know, and for me, mm -hmm. it was just my world. It was my parents, yeah. it was my family, my household, the way we were raised. And yep. I think it's, maybe I alluded to it earlier, but maybe from my standpoint, my worldview is, was that. And I grew up in a town where people were like either Catholic or Jewish. So I'd go to Catholic church. I'd go to Jewish temple. I celebrated everything. I didn't, to me, like mm -hmm. there was no difference. Like all of it seemed normal. Mm -hmm. um, but when you get out into the real world and you start realizing that people are not raised that way, people are raised oftentimes in a very tunnel vision kind of way yeah. where they're told this is the way, this is the religion, this is the mm -hmm. way we treat people right. who look different than us, who think different from us, who mm -hmm. speak different from us, who have a belief system that's different from us. And mm -hmm. there's more separation as opposed to we are all one. And my, my belief to this day is we are all one. We are actually all connected from the very first human, you know? So for me, like you're related to me already, like by definition, mm -hmm. we're all related to each other, but that's not the, I don't think that's a typical worldview. And I think, you know, that's part of the problem is that we're coming from our worldviews as mm -hmm. people who have experienced diversity from birth, mm -hmm. you know, and other people have not you know, and mm -hmm. that's, mm -hmm. how do we reach them? I think that's the biggest question is how do you reach them without feeling like you're preaching at them or angry with them, or you may feel all those things, but how do you get them to be on our team? You know, like, how do you get them over to this side to understand, yeah. like, this is a perspective that's highly different than yours, but can you yeah. just step into this person's shoes for one moment and yeah. kind of try to vicariously live their, some of these moments that they experienced of, because people say, oh, I don't, you know, your friend who's black, she, she experienced a racist, uh, um, you know, event in her life while living in such and such a town. I'm like, you really <laughs> asked me that question? Like, yeah, her sons, you know, her, like, yeah, mm -hmm. her neighbors, right. like they call the police on her. If she's having more than three people over and they're like, they're loud. Yeah. You know, I'm yeah. like, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I yeah. think, why are people shocked by this? Well, then I remember most, maybe some people don't have friends that don't look like them or don't talk like them or don't think like them. Right. Their language. I, that's like the norm for me. <laughs> you know, so. Right. Yes. And for me too, which of course I have a very hard time understanding the angst or the animosity or whatever it is that is spewed towards people who are different from who, whomever. Whomever, right. right. Yes. I, I just, I have, I, I just, I don't get it. I, it just, it goes over my head. I'm on the, I'm on the same page um, with you. It's, it's yeah. weird. It's weird to me yeah. that, you know. Yeah. I think that there are people who are ready to see a different perspective. Mm -hmm. And then there are people who will not be ready for a while. And that's okay. And that's that, okay. That's fine. Yep. I just say, know the difference and mm -hmm. protect yourself from the difference, right? Do right. not engage in a battle of wits or a battle of facts or a battle of history with someone who's just not ready. Don't yeah. do it. 
But then with someone who is ready, just get to know them, just talk to them and begin to, I mean, you don't know. There's a, there's this quote that says you are, you may be the only Jesus that someone ever meets. If you believe in Jesus, right? I mean, that's so true. And if that is true, then what are you being, right? Just be that, be, be you and allow for things to, to kind of flow. Sadie, you said a key word and that was listen, you know, and I think that's the, that's the key in all of this. Yeah. how can we move forward? Because I'm sort of like, I can't change what's already happened, but we can change moving, <clears throat> excuse me, moving forward, mm-hmm. each and every one of us, right? So what we can do is when we do come across somebody who has a highly, you know, dramatically different opinion than ours on the issue of race, mm-hmm. we need to listen to them, no matter how hard it is, because some of what they say may be like earth shatteringly difficult, right? But <laughs> wouldn't you want them to listen to you, right? Like, you have to be fair, right? I can't be just like, oh, sh- sh- you know, I don't right. want to hear what say. I have to listen as hard as it might be and try to understand what is their perspective? Why do they feel this way? Where, what, did, what was their life experience in growing up in their family and where in the part of country, the country they're from? Sure. Has their socialization this- will be totally different than yours or mine. It's created because- this, you're not born that way. That's not one of those things, oh, somebody's born racist. I don't no, know. it's the socialization. It's socialization. And you've seen it with kids. You see all the funny memes that go around the videos, like kids don't know color or this or that, you know, and, and it's true in the sense that kids, children who are so pure, they don't see any of this. They don't know what you're talking about when you start saying racism and discrimination. So here's, like- right. And, and <laughs> like, one thing that- Right. And and one thing that I always like to point out, though, is that kids do see color. Kids see the difference, but they don't attach any negativity to the differences. They simply see the differences. But what happens is adults step in and say, don't talk about that. That's not that's not right. That's not nice. That's not this. That's not that. And then they begin to grow with this idea of, well, if I talk about black people or if I talk about, you know, Asian, if I talk, if that's, I, that's not a good conversation. You can't talk about that. Then don't, it becomes taboo and then it becomes an issue, right? Where I say, talk to the kids about, about race. There's nothing wrong with talking to your kids about black people, Asian people, um, uh, Native people, just all kinds of people, because then when you do that, they will develop a comfort with talking about people and about situations the way that they are versus with this anxiety with talking about it. Then when they see something that doesn't fit properly, they can speak up because they've been, they've learned to speak up. Exactly. And talk about things. Otherwise, they're just going to be like, oh, that, I don't, mm. and you know, I don't want to see that. Right. But even if, like what you're saying, if they're uncomfortable in a certain situation because of how somebody looks, that's also okay in the sense that they can express it. Right. It's express okay it. Mistreat that person or treat them differently. But it's okay sure. if they're not sure. Like, you know, maybe yes. they've first seen somebody from Asia or from Nigeria right. or from Brazil or from where. It's okay. But of here, course. here's this person. And guess what? There's, there's actually more similarities than differences. And if you can, yeah. kids are teachable, right? Yeah. You know, kids are like sponges. So 
I think yeah. it's prime age and maybe, you know, it's a conversation for another podcast, but um, would be to, <laughs> you know, how do we instill that education? Because we can't get into every single home in the country, right? That needs this. No. We, but we yeah. can help educators and schools and people that do work with children incorporate this into the curriculum. We could right. you know, find a way to have them engage in these conversations, even if they're not happening at home, they're happening at home. That's great. But if they're not, right. where is it along the way, you know, that um, they'll hear. Yeah. There, there was something, even I, I came across an app recently um, around when I was planning my international women's day event and I saw this app and it was about women in history. Yeah. And you think back on your history class when you were a kid in school, how many famous women, like women, did Louisa you, May yeah. Alcott, something yeah. like there's one or two people like <laughs> who was the lady that s did the flag, you know, like there's like three people, maybe max, you know, right, maybe right. we heard about Harriet Tubman, maybe right. and then everybody else was either like tried as a witch in Salem or God knows right. what, they did, something bad. They were, their head was cut off on a guillotine. I don't know. Like think about, <laughs> you know, yes. who are the heroines? Who were the yes. people that we could say, oh, historically these thousands yes. of women did X, Y, and Z to impact mm -hmm. current day life in the world. You know, we don't have that. And so I think it's, it's a similar kind of thing. Like if we can teach people about women in history and all the great things women have done forever, we mm -hmm. could do the same thing with racism and anti-racism really mm -hmm. is that mm -hmm. it, it doesn't have to exist. It doesn't, you don't have to feel that way. So, and it's really good not to feel that way. It actually mm -hmm. feels better to not be racist. You know, your life will be better if you're not racist, actually, I think. I don't know if that's a proven fact, but I think we racism, get it scientifically proven. Well, racism <laughs> has a very, very high cost. There's a very high cost to racism, and it's not only monetary, yeah. it is also social 100%. for everyone involved. Yep. So it is definitely important to kind of get away from the system of racism and be able to grow from there. And we have to also remember, you know, you said that the kids are teachable. Adults are teachable too. Yes. We like to think that adults that, you know, as adults, we like to think, well, this is how I've done it. And this is how right. I, this is just how I am. Right. And that's not true. Right. Adults are teachable. Yes. And if you keep your mind open, I tell my son all the time, don't tell me what you can't do. Tell me what you can do. Don't yeah. tell me what, you know, how bad it is. Tell me how good it is because wherever you take your mind, that's where you're going. Exactly. And if you say, I can't, I can't, then sure you can't because You've just you just told it. yourself yeah. that you couldn't You do literally it. just confirmed the outcome. You, you said it five times. Well, I just yeah. want to like, I want to qualify my earlier statement and say that, yes, adults are teachable, but they're less sponge-like. They're less sponge-like. Yes. Can you give me that? That's, I can. Absolutely. That yeah. is absolutely no, I, true. I totally, they're not absorbing I'm, everything that, that comes to them yeah. the yeah. way that kids are. There's a little sure. less porousness. You know, there's like, yes, I think with they're a little stiffer, a little stiffer, <laughs> a little harder, a little less accessible, but I, I totally, yeah. agree. And I think it's not. Not that we shouldn't address adults and we shouldn't try to also help them see a different perspective, but I think it's just a bigger challenge. There's just It more, is definitely a bigger challenge. Yeah. More time has passed with their beliefs. So it's kind of like the joke. Yeah. Of, you know, you tell kids like, yeah, you get your parents so late in their lives, you can't really change them. You know, like there's that <laughs> funny saying, I don't know if you've heard that, but I love that one. Yeah. I, I've used it on my children. Like, 
Sorry, you got me Sorry. so late in your life that I really can't be changed. I'm just going to be this way. You know, they're like, oh. we're just going to eyes roll back. And get what you get. Yeah. yeah you got what you get. Don't be upset, yeah. you know. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think, I think there's a good fight to be had. Yeah. And I mean, fight in a, not in a physical fight, but in a. Sure. In a battle for, you know, for justice again, you know, going back to this. Yeah justice and, you know, tying it into like who I am, I think about it. I feel that my life as an example, not that it's perfect by no, any stretch or imagination, but that, <laughs> yeah. you know, like I try to live it in a way that actually matches what I think and, and speak. And I think it's yeah. like, it's hard to always be on top of it and be in that, you know, oh, of course. model kind of, um, mode oh, yeah. of operation. But I feel like, you know, because I have kids, because I own a business, I train people that work, you know, do the work that we do and mm -hmm. I have to set an example. And I feel like I do the best I can. I try to be open-minded. I try to, you know, my kids have friends, all kinds of, you know, colors and types and sizes and shapes and backgrounds. And yeah, yeah I love all of them. And I, and mm -hmm. I feel like that my love of all of them and my acceptance of them, and I open my home to them. I, everybody, this is a safe haven. I, that's what I always say. And I, I want people who may not feel welcomed or accepted or liked anywhere else to be able to come here. And yes. that's my way of opening up to the world to say, do I need to say that I'm anti-racist? I don't think I need to say that. I, I think I just told you who I am by saying, you're mm -hmm. here. everybody is welcome here. Mm -hmm. you know, this is my, this is your safe haven. This is your peaceful spot to come where maybe mm -hmm. you can't be who you need to be or who you really are anywhere else. You come here. Yeah. That says it all. I don't need yeah. to spell it out. Right. It's right. You know, well, so. the, you know, that's, that's the conversation I had with my sister in the, um, one of the first episodes, it was a really short episode, but sh that's what, you know, we were talking about. She was like, you know, people look at everything that's going on and they see all these big things and they're like, well, do I need to, you know, join this protest? Do I need to do this? And yeah. just like, no, you don't need to do any of Anything. that. Actually, what you can just do is change your world where you are. So Bingo. be open, like you just said, say, this is a safe place and make it so, because that is going to change someone's life. And if you change one, you can change more because what is it? It's a drop. Even the smallest drop creates ripples. You know, it's yes. so funny you say that. And a couple of months ago, um, one of my son's friends, my oldest son's friends is a rap, uh, rap musician in Boston. And he needed a place to yeah. do a music video. And he's like, hey, mama, can I, like, could we use your backyard? Because I have a huge backyard and he knows yeah. this. And he knows I'm not going to say no, right? So uh -huh. impromptu, like overnight, you yeah. know, 15, 20 kids from very <laughs> Mattapan, wherever. I don't know where they're all from. They're all yeah. from the city, right? For a little country yeah. girl out here in, in Wayland. <laughs> and they come down the driveway and I don't know what they expected, you know? And I don't know what right. they were thinking, but, you know, I brought out food and drinks and I, you know, I'm being the hostess because that's how I sure. am. And yeah. they, like, they're all hugging me when they're leaving. They're like, thanks, mama. You know, we had no idea what, what this was going to be like. This was perfect. And I thought, nice. you know, without much dialogue, yeah. without much conversation, those 15, 20 kids from the city who didn't look a thing like me mm -hmm. um, walked away with a very different perspective. Mm -hmm. And that mm -hmm. in those few hours, they were at my home. And it's like, that's what you do. You don't really need to have big discussions. You, you can mm -hmm. have them, but mm -hmm. sometimes it's a small act. It's a small, yeah. small pebble with this ripple. Yeah. And that's what I do. That's how I can 
you know, I know that's what I can control. You know, one of the things that's come mm-hmm. up in the last few months is people talking about, you know, being overwhelmed and what can I control? There's so many things we can't control. Well, that was something I could control. I could say yes or no. I said, mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. I accepted that this was going to happen. There was going to be a lot of loud music and jamming and some other things that I won't mention. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah. you know, it was a few hours of my life. My son, yeah. my youngest son was in the video. He rode his mo- motorcycle and his gear. Oh, and cool. and the coolest thing. My chickens were in the video. Um, <laughs> truck was in the video. You know, it was perfect. And so yeah. they let, they, like they came and they went like a movie crew, like boom, boom, yeah. boom, done. And I thought, yeah. you know, whose life has been changed by this? Well, yes, obviously my bonus son, Tyler, but he, you know, other than him who already knew, knows me and knows mm-hmm. what I'm all about, those other folks, mm-hmm. like now their their life has been slightly changed, and mm-hmm. you know it can't not it can't be the same after that experience. So mm-hmm. it's sometimes a small act. I think we all think we have to do big things like to go to a protest. I don't go to protests. I don't like mm-hmm. crowds. Mm-hmm. I, I have a fear of crowds, so I'm yeah. not going to a protest. I will have a conversation. I will share posts. I will support yeah. the organization financially yeah. or volunteer. I will mm-hmm. have any conversation with anybody anytime. Right. But I don't go to protests. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And everyone's not called. Everyone's not called to go to protest. Everyone's not right. called to be on the very front of the line. Right. Um, you know, if you feel that that's where you fit in, then that's where you get in. Get in where you fit in is what my, you know, I, on another episode, Kevin said, my friend, Kevin, who is a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion vice president at um, University of Virginia. Oh, wow. He was on one episode and another episode that's coming up soon. But that's what he said. You know, he's like, just get in where you fit in. Where you fit is where you can do the best work. Right. If you're trying to push yourself to being where you don't fit, where you don't feel comfortable, where you're not fully able to be yourself, you're doing a detriment to yourself right. and to the the cause because right. you're never going to produce your best no. So be yeah. your best self, get in where you fit in. And if that is sharing posts, making donations, if that is speaking up when something comes up, when things happen, that is what you're called to do. And that is enough. Right. I, and I'm glad you say it out loud because I think that that's, I think some people need to hear that because there's a lot of pressure to do the right thing, whatever that means, right? You have to like what are your strengths? Where can I be best utilized? Well, in that given moment, in that example, I was best utilized by opening my home to folks to do a music mm-hmm. video. And that's yeah. what I did. I could mm-hmm. do it. I would do it again. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so I help out, you know, where my, where my abilities are, where my personality fits, where my history fits, where everything, you know, I don't try to do things that go against the grain because number one, it wouldn't be authentic and it wouldn't be natural. Mm-hmm. And it, I feel like people would know, you know, most of course. people know well know that I don't like crowds and that I don't go to big, you know, like if I am at a bigger event, like even conferences sometimes. Um, yeah. I went to a big conference in Houston last March and um, mm-hmm. it was right after I got certified as a woman-owned business and the summit for the National We Bank organization was in Houston. Of course, I lived there for many years and I was like, oh, I'm going to go for sure. Yeah. I, even, I wasn't thinking about the crowd aspect of it. Then I <laughs> Yeah, 650 women attend this event. I was like, <gasps> like panic. And I'm like, what am I going to do? Um, and it's so funny. So you, this is a great story. Like 
a woman who kind of like was assigned to me as a, as a coach because I was going to be in a pitch competition at that event. And she was like, we were talking about, it. I told her of my kind of my fear of crowds and these big conferences. And she like, she broke it down for me. She's like, Drita, guess what? I'm going to give you permission not to attend every single thing on the agenda. Yeah. You feel that you need to take a break and go to your hotel room. Right. And it was like simple advice, obvious advice, but I needed to hear it in order for me to be successful in that conference yes. and make it through it. And it's exactly what I did. I thought of her. I thought of her words. I was feeling overwhelmed. I said, you know, I'm going to go to my room yep. for a while and look at the four walls and do nothing. Yes. And, it, and it helped me get through it. That and the first person I met is a wonderful woman, Yolanda um, in Houston. She works at Shell and she was the person giving out, you know, like the little labels that you put on your name badge, like yeah. which women's business group are you with? Like ours is CWE for this part of Massachusetts. First time uh, attendee. She and I just, it was like peanut butter. Nice. We were just, <laughs> and you know, so right. So the very first person I meet at the conference is this highly welcoming, yeah. engaging, accepting, opening human. And we're still, we're Facebook friends. And next time I go to Houston, I'm going to see her, but it's nice. It's kind of like, yeah, it's, it's these little, it's the little things in life, right? The, it's the, it's little, the things. little things. Absolutely. The little things we discount the little things, but the little things, they're the one things that build up to the big things, right? Yeah. So we cannot discount them. We have to take everything into account for That's sure. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> We've covered a lot awesome. of ground. <laughs> we have covered a lot of ground. So if we're celebrating, let's say we're down two years, three years down the line, and yes. we're really celebrating something that has happened in the industry or, you know, for social justice or what would that be? Like we're having, we're partying. <laughs> I mean, you like to party. So I do. Party. Yeah. You know, I think I would celebrate if I knew that anybody that committed an act of injustice based on a, on racism was actually served the proper sentence, was actually punished for their crime, was actually called right. out. That, that to me would be cause for celebration. Yeah. I would feel good about that. And we all know the happenings of 2020 have been strange. And some of that has included some highly you know publicized cases of people who yeah. clearly uh, mm -hmm. mistreated, injured, killed mm -hmm. because of their skin color, because of how mm -hmm. they look. And I think that that's, I don't want to live in a world that doesn't, that allows for that. I want to live in a world and celebrate in a world that does not allow that to happen. I right. think I need, we need to be done with that. We need to be, yeah. we need to move forward into a moment where everybody is accountable for their actions, no matter yeah. what, no cover ups, no silencing, no pat on, you know, slap on the wrist. Slap on the no. wrist. No, yep. you did this. This is what the consequence is. Yeah. We got it on yeah. camera, buddy. You know, like we, right. this is, we're done. We're, you know, there's this clear action, um, mm -hmm. you know, action and consequence. And I think that that's, then I would celebrate. Then I would feel like, okay, we have gone yeah. past the corruption. We've gone past the racism. We've gone past mm -hmm. the mistreatment, special treatment. This person gets this, that person gets that. And, and it's clear to most of us why. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, to really even that out and, and, and move past those kinds of situations where people are devastated by the outcome of a, of a ruling, you know, that yeah. so-and-so did this and they got off basically with nothing, you know, like a slap on the yes. wrist and two years in jail and, and move on yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. You know, it, it's, mm -hmm. it's like, that's got to stop. That has just yeah. got to stop for me to feel like 
hooray, humankind has made it to <laughs> an elevated we've place. We've taken another rung. We've, yeah. we've stepped up a rung. Stepped yes, up a rung. We've unloaded. got to step up a couple of rungs. You know, yes. it's, I get so like, I, like I said to you earlier, like some days I feel like, yay, we're going the right. And then I, yeah. you know, it's like, nope, just took 10 steps back again, you know, yeah. and it's this sort of yeah. ping pong, yo-yo, whatever you want to call it, whatever yeah. analogy makes the most sense. But it's like, it's that, it's that swinging feeling. It's not like every single case is treated with, you know, fairness and, and just mm-hmm. a just outcome. It's mm-hmm. one case in a million, one case in a thousand, one case in a hundred, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. we got to get it down to where everybody gets the mm-hmm. same treatment, no matter what. Mm-hmm. I don't know that. I mean, I know that it's not easy to get there. I'm not foolish. I'm of course. I'm an optimist, all- but I'm a realist. <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, we all know that, but we all right. are hoping that the hard work gets done because nothing worth doing isn't hard. Right. right? We have to strive for that. We have to, you know, shoot for the stars because if we just say, yeah. uh, you know, this one case, Breonna Taylor, somebody, mm-hmm. it's not one case. No, it's she not She just one gets case. highlighted. George King, they got highlighted. Yes. For whatever reason. We know that there's many cases that don't make the news. There's so many right. more that don't make the news, right? So the right. ones that are being highlighted by the media, we won't go there, but whatever, they're being highlighted. Mm-hmm. So let's move past that and just think, okay, that's, it, there, it's a representation of what's going on. So we need to deal with the underlying reasons why it's actually happening. It's not just, mm-hmm. we want justice for all, but what's happening in those places right. where this continually, consistently yes. happens mm-hmm. and where, how can we instill change from the foundation up so that these, these things stop happening so that there is mm-hmm. a shift and that we do raise the, the bar on how people are treated. And I think it's, you know, it's a fight we have to fight. We all have to be in it. It's mm-hmm. not easy at all, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because of that. And, you know, no, that, that's it. It, not being it. easy is not an excuse. That's right. what I always say. <laughs> Otherwise you wouldn't go not work out. Excuse. You think, you think lifting weights is easy for me? No, but I still go <laughs> do it. Cause I know it's good for my health. Right. Like that's exactly, you know, that that's exactly right. And right. that's exactly we what celebrate. I say. Yeah. So yeah. we're going to put the goal is that for that big celebration, that worldwide massive celebration we want to have, yes. Yes. We got to fight for it. We got to earn that celebration. And I, yes. think, you know, I, I do have a lot of faith in the younger people. I have faith in upcoming musicians, people who are maybe, you know, not, not quite famous, but are using their, their voice, literally their, their artistry, yes. their music, their mm-hmm. actual art, um, you know, their spoken word, their everything to really promote this world that we want to see. And I, and I think we yeah. have to like another, another kind of realm of, of not being discriminatory is to take, young people's thoughts mm-hmm. into account and, and bring them on board and help them continue to, to fight mm-hmm. because you don't want this to die out. You don't want people to not feel that it's the fight isn't worth it that, you know, right. you really have to help them see that. Yes, you're being vocal. You're speaking out. You're making a small change in your tiny community will have a ripple effect and encouraging that. And maybe, you know, kind of what that is, is really the mentorship. And so many of us do it sort of yeah. naturally and informally and and there's are obviously more formal channels for it too but i really mm-hmm. i feel like that's where you know our superpowers come in too and and we can yeah as a role model as somebody who could help you know younger people mm-hmm. to really come into those roles too of leadership and and speaking out against social injustice so I love it. So is there anything that I didn't ask you that you would have wanted me to ask? You? Oh my goodness. I feel like I don't even know. I, 
I think you know a lot about me in this last hour. So I don't know how long it's been, but it's, I know we've, we've hit a lot of points, which is yeah. which is fantastic. Which is the whole point, you know, right. getting it out there. Yeah. So I think the only um, thing I would say is like, you know, just as a company, I can tell you, and as a, I mean, you already heard some of my individual stories, but mm-hmm. you know, I'm a I'm a small business. We only have mm-hmm. myself and my older son is my only other full time employee, but. I think as I see the company growing and as the, as I look into the future and I know we're going to grow and there's a very specific and intentional goal to grow um, in the mm-hmm. coming years that I want to be sure to bring in people and bring people into the company that, that do represent diverse backgrounds, mm-hmm. diverse cultures, languages. And we, we kind of, well, by default, we've done that because my son is ethnically diverse. Um, yeah part Brazilian, but born here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my background as well. Um, our only other employee that's, you know, she's a part-time virtual assistant. She is actually Hispanic um, of a Mexican American family from Houston. Um, mm-hmm. So we're kind of like on that path. That, and it, and I hate to say, well, I guess I can say it is, wasn't hundred percent intentional that way, but it has happened that way. Right. Um, but I think again, as we're intentionally growing, I want to intentionally attract um, folks to the company and to the business that do represent m- even more diversity. And, and, you know, sometimes when I, I think people, and you know this, when people say diversity, they always think skin color or, you know, ethnicity, but it's not diversity is so much more than that. Um, yes. It's, yes. So it's We're like talking about gender and religion and able ability and all yeah. everything, all the things that that get put to the fringes because they're not able bodied white male actually pretty much yeah if we're if we're gonna be very clear we're gonna, yeah it. we're gonna really like spell it out right <laughs> yes yeah so there are times when I am more specific and I say racial diversity right. or I say you know we're talking about the LGBTQ community right or we're talking about the differently abled community right Sometimes it gets more specific and sometimes I leave it under the larger umbrella, but yeah. Right. Definitely. And I just, yeah, I want to keep that open mind and, and use the broad term of diversity when I say that for myself. And I feel like that it's not like it's going to be hard for me to do that, but I want to, I want to put it out there when I want to manifest right. that so that when we do bring on whoever the next person might be, that, yeah. that that is sort of a qualification, if you will, or that's something that's going to be on our radar for, Right. And, you know, it kind of like our business, because we work with languages and, you know, Mm -hmm. different cultures, it sort of naturally lends itself to that anyway. Right. Um, So for like the person that is the virtual assistant, I definitely manifest, I said in my head intentionally, I want somebody who's bilingual. I want somebody who's bicultural. I want somebody who has more diversity than me. (laughs) Right. Um, You know, so I think that that's, I'm going to continue in that vein. And I think that's important for other business owners um, mm-hmm. To not fear that, to you know, because sometimes I think it could be like, oh, bringing on somebody who's totally different, or maybe their native language is something other than English, and I need them to speak English. And yes, they do speak it, but they have an accent, or they sometimes say a word that's you know funny or whatever. Not to be afraid of that, because you're right. going to learn so much from that person. They're going to bring in something to your business and your world that oh, yeah. you didn't have before, you know. And yeah. so, yeah, embrace it. Absolutely. I guess you know, don't fear it, just embrace it, and really take right. Them in. Learn yeah. from them. <laughs> yeah. So. so where can people find your business? Your business is, uh, tell us a little bit about your business and sure. then where they can find you. Sure. Absolutely. So it's Mappa Translations and we are everywhere. <laughs> We're on LinkedIn. <laughs> okay. Where we have a website, okay. uh, 
maybe the best place to start is the website. It is sort of under construction. We are revamping it, but okay. all the key information is there. It's MAPA, so M-A-P-A, translation.com. Mm-hmm. We are also on all the social media, LinkedIn. We have three main divisions. So we provide written translation, interpreter services, and also multilingual voiceover, including English. I've learned that when I say multilingual voiceover, people are like, oh, do you work in English? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I know we it's do. It's a language. Yeah. It is a language. It is one of the languages, not the only language, right? Right, right. I, yeah, it's like, I was like, wow, that's kind of weird. But again, funny. it's like my world is so multilingual. Yes. That to me, like, of course it means English, right? Yes. Um, right, right. Yeah, those are our three main services. Um, we, we've yes. been in business since 2007 and really love the fact that we have grown from this very small company that started out working with mostly K through 12 schools and now has grown into serving many nonprofits. We work with some other partner um, agencies. We like to call them our power partners um, that provide a myriad of services where we're sort of the fill in the gap. Um, you yeah. know, maybe they provide a service where they're doing it in English, but they need to do it in multiple languages and, and fill those gaps. And so we come in and fill them. Um, so nice. that's really been a great experience the last couple of months to the year. We've really seen the growth in our, these partnerships with video production companies, with communications agencies, people that are trying to reach different markets. And especially yeah. during the last you know, six or seven months of 2020, mm-hmm. we've seen a greater need for people on the state level, state agencies, cities and mm-hmm. towns really trying to reach the population to pass information along about safety and safety measures and things like that in languages other than English so that everybody really understands what's going on. So we've really seen a great, a great growth in that area. And um, my favorite part of it is voiceover because I'm a voice actor, as you know, Um, (laughs) I love the acting part. So that's always fun. And I've, I'm starting to dabble in directing and other things be on the other side of the mic and the camera. So yeah, lots of excitement. Well, that's fantastic. Now, usually my last question is this. We are on Diversity Dish. Yes. So what is your favorite dish? Oh, my goodness. Love. Uh, well, you know, it's funny. I, I, so I have a Mediterranean background. My father was from Albania. Yeah. Um, and I feel like Mediterranean food is sort of like the thing that calls to me most. And mm. I'm pretty sure I was Italian in another lifetime because I love Italian food. <laughs> And I would have, if you made me like choose one dish, I would say eggplant parm. I love eggplant parmesan. I love it. You know, there's just something about it over a nice plate of ziti or fettuccine, a side salad and a glass of Merlot. We're good to go. We're good. (laughs) You don't need anything else. (laughs) (laughs) What more do I need? Oh yeah. Maybe some bread and some company. A little bit of bread. So you come over and eat it with me. (laughs) Absolutely. That sounds really yummy. I love eggplant parm as well. Yeah. Um, It's my favorite. I would have, I I, I, I have many favorites, but I, when, when you twist my arm and you like, Drew to pick one. Yeah. That's hands down. Nice. Hands down. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here. It has been such a pleasure to share in your aura. (laughs) And yours too. (laughs) Thank you. And um, so I will definitely link your, put your links in the show notes so that everyone can find you later on for all their translations and and that sort of thing. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Hey, did you enjoy that episode? If so, 
please be sure to subscribe, download, rate, review, and share. It would also mean the world to me if you became a patron over at Patreon. The information is in the show notes. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.